Um, I'm Colonel Pat White. I'm the Deputy Commander of Training at the Combined Arms Center, Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. And with me today, I have Colonel Baird Johnson, who is the TRADOC Capabilities Manager Virtual. Um, and what we plan to do, unless you want to break in, and you can break in at any time, is just briefly describe what we do for the Army um, and give a vision of where we want to be in five to six years as it pertains to training, training of the force both in the institution, uh, which is our schoolhouses, and in the operational army, which is those units of assignment that soldiers go to when they come out of the schoolhouses or out of initial entry. So if that's okay with all of you, that's kind of how we'd like to proceed. And then at the end, and I don't imagine that'll take more than about 10 or, 10 or 15 minutes, um, we'll open it up. Ashley, I guess you'd, you'll moderate the questions as they come yes, through. Sir. Okay. Yes, yeah, I'd really like to start. Um, you know, we have been in persistent conflict for the past 10 years, and we've come out of Iraq, and we're beginning to come out of Afghanistan over the next couple of years. And the Army is pushing a narrative that I'd like to describe to you first to give you the overarching where I pull what I must do for the Army from. Um, the Chief of Staff, General Odierno, says that the Army is a national force for sustained, decisive action providing the joint force depth, versatility, flexibility, and effective operations across the spectrum of conflict. He also says that our readiness is non-negotiable. And whatever the eventual size of our Army will be, we have to remain highly trained. Now, having said that, what we do in CAC-T is we provide training support and training development for the force. And that goes beyond just the Army. It is a joint and multinational aspect to that as well. Um, you know, we train leaders, we train soldiers, and we help train units. Bear will go into a little bit of detail later on about how we do that. What I'd like to describe next is the environment that we are moving forward with in the training world or the training environment. And this environment is really based upon the complexities of the operational environment that we have been in as an Army over the past nine to ten years. As you well know, uh, as most of you have experienced, you know, what our soldiers and leaders are going through downrange when it comes to the conflict is very complex, it's uncertain, it's ambiguous, and it's very volatile. And we have to try to replicate that back at home station and at our combat training centers to keep those young soldiers and leaders engaged and wanting to be a part of our force. We do this a couple of different ways now and into the future. First, we have what we are terming the decisive action training environment. And that is an immersive environment where a soldier, a leader, and or a unit goes to or participates in a training, I don't want to use the term environment, but a training event where he employs both live, virtual, constructive, and gaming to achieve a desired training outcome. Now the challenge that we really have is you can't replicate bullets flying at you. Um, you cannot replicate uh, you know, the mortars and the rockets um, that, are, that are in combat itself, the physicalness of that. But what we can replicate is the complexity of that, which means all of the things that these young captains, all of the 
of the enablers that these young battalion commanders have today will be replicated at home station. And I'll give you a specific example. Downrange today, a young company commander um, has the ability to ask for and receive support from unmanned aerial systems or to receive support from fixed wing and rotary wing aircraft. Now back at home station, because we are in the United States of America, that becomes problematic to, to replicate. Airspace um, is restrictive. And the FAA doesn't necessarily allow us to fly our UAVs over towns like Phoenix. So we have developed systems in our virtual world that allow a company commander or a battalion commander to replicate what a UAV or what a fighter pilot may provide for them on the ground. Um, I'll describe uh, what we call the integrated training environment. And the integrated training environment is the ability to link virtual, constructive, in some cases gaming and live at a home station. So take Fort Hood, for example. A brigade commander wishes to train his brigade. There's not enough maneuver space, nor are there enough live fire ranges for him to take his entire brigade out to train it. So he has the ability to take a battalion, put them on the live fire ranges, a battalion, put them in the virtual simulators, and a battalion, and put them in a constructive world and conduct what we call a linked exercise. We are really moving forward. We begin our first fieldings at Fort Hood this summer, and then each camp post and installation that is slated to receive this integrated training environment um, will, in order, be fielded what is required to enable those commanders to link all of those training domains in some form or some capacity. Um, I'd also like to touch a little bit on leader development because we do like to focus on home station. That's where the action is. That's where the live fire ranges are. That's where you have chains of command that, that can support you with whatever you request for your training. But in the institutional army, in those schoolhouses, um, you know, it is a leader to lead ratio slightly less than what you would see at home station. So we are also at institution training on the same systems that a soldier will see when he goes to his first unit of assignment or comes out of a schoolhouse back to a unit of assignment. And that's important um, because what we don't want to do is replicate the complexities at home station or at a combat training center and then send a soldier or a leader to a schoolhouse where they sit around and PowerPoint slides go up on the wall. And that's, that's just not going to keep their interest um, and we'll lose, you know, their faith if, if that's how we conduct training in the institution. Um, I, I don't have much more than that because I imagine you all have questions. Um, I will turn it over to Bear here in a second. I just want to reiterate that really in the training world, you know, the challenge is to replicate as close as we can those complexities. And, again, it's not necessarily the bullets flying at you. It's everything that these young soldiers and leaders have been employing in combat how do we do that at home station? What is the best way to make sure that we maintain that complexity and that those soldiers are immersed in an environment that is as similar to downrange as, as we can, can get? And I'll turn it over to Bear. Um, he'll go into a little more detail than, than I have just given you. And then when he's done, Ashley, you can take it and, and moderate the questions. Thank you. Yes, sir. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm uh... Colonel Barry Johnson, as uh, Colonel White already articulated, 
I'm the trade our capabilities manager for the virtual training environment. <clears throat> in that role, I coordinate with the various centers of excellence throughout the Army, which represent uh, the core warfighting functions uh, that the Army operates under, uh, principally maneuver, intelligence, fires, uh, sustainment, and maneuver support. I also coordinate with the Mission Command Center of Excellence to ensure that we provide capabilities that allow soldiers to be immersed in a fully immersive environment. Uh, the difference between a fully immersive environment and a semi-immersive environment, in the fully immersive environment, uh, the replication takes on the role of the proper form, fit, and function of uh, an operation, for instance, a tank. Uh, in an immersive environment, that tank will closely replicate uh, the actual weapon system that the soldier would manipulate in the execution of his responsibilities. Uh, as far as a dismounted soldier in a squad, as the squad takes on the foundation of the decisive force, uh, we would immerse a soldier in an environment uh, using his personal weapon, be it an uh, M16, an M4, uh, a lightweight uh, heavy machine or heavy machine gun, uh, and allows them to experience or engage point and area targets from that weapon system. So I coordinate with these centers of excellence to ensure that we properly establish the requirements uh, to allow our leaders and our soldiers to develop the skills required to be flexible, agile, adaptive, and innovative leaders. We also use those or leverage those capabilities to ensure that they're exercising their creative and critical thinking skills uh, in the execution of their responsibilities. Uh, specifically on the virtual side of the house, uh, we use those fully immersive capabilities. When I talk about semi-immersive, uh, we use that environment uh, in the execution. An example of that would be our gaming technologies, uh, where you manipulate a keyboard in the execution of those responsibilities, either a keyboard or a mouse or a gaming controller. Uh, this generation of soldiers we have now are highly familiar with the semi-immersive training environment. Uh, as Colonel White already articulated, we have a long-term goal of integrating the live, virtual, and constructive and gaming technologies to add to the complexity uh, which that leader would have to uh, make a decision, uh, once again, leveraging his creative and critical thinking skills. Uh, and we look forward as we move forward with the integrated training environment to immerse that leader and to come up with a common operational picture based on uh, the combining of all those environments to add that to that complexity. Uh, that's all I have for right now, unless there are any questions out there. Thank you, sir. And we will begin our question and answer section. Chuck Sims, did you have a question? Uh, yes. Chuck Simmons from America's North Shore Journal. Just a week ago, we spoke with Mike McCord from the Controller's Office at the Department of Defense. One of the things that he talked about was the low-hanging fruit within the DOD budget. And one of the apples on that low-hanging fruit tree was readiness. Now, in the past, we've seen 
soldier drilling with broomsticks uh, because there were no rifles, and we had soldiers that uh, in their entire uh, career in the military had fired less than half a dozen rounds of, of live ammo through their through their uh, tank cannon, for example. Um, with the current budget constraint, how are the programs that you're working with right now saving money and yet providing the vital training, realistic training, that uh, our troops will need? Thank you. Yeah, Mr. Simmons, that's, a, that's an excellent question. In fact, um, between the departments and the agencies that I work with, so Forces Command, TRADOC, Training and Doctrine Command, and Department of the Army, and then our reserve component as well. You know, th those are the questions that we're struggling with right now. And I say struggling because with limited resources, you have to be able to place, and I use place specifically because I'm talking about physical placing of our training enablers um, so that you get the most bang for your buck, more people can use them. Now, you, you have been around and you know that not all of our camp posts and installations are the same. Fort, Fort Hood, Fort Bliss are large in, installations. Fort Stewart, Fort Carson's a little bit smaller. Um, and, and so the number of troops and the types of troops that are at those installations will determine for us how much and what we place. Um, an example. The Close Combat Tactical Trainer, um, for those of you that are not familiar with it, is a collective training uh, – I was going to say environment, but that's not correct. It's a collective training device that's used at the company level. Well, well we have never had enough Close Combat Tactical Trainers for every company in the Army to use simultaneously. Um, but what we have done is based on size of installation and troop density, we will move those training devices to a location where they are needed the most. So we are prioritizing, I guess would be the word that I use, for our training age devices, simulators, and simulations. As we move forward, um, what matters most to us, and when I say us, I mean CAC-T, the organization that I'm in charge of right now, is that the field force tells us what is most important. So what Forcecom says they need is what we will prioritize our resources on, what General Rodriguez, his corps commanders, um, his division commanders, what they say their soldiers are using is what we will continue to put our resources behind. Does that mean that we're not looking to the future and taking advantage of off-the-shelf technologies or emerging technologies? No, but what it does mean is if the soldiers are using the engagement skills trainer more than they are a live fire range on an installation, um, then we will weight our effort for maintaining concurrency in the, in the engagement skills trainer, which is an indoor trainer, um, vice necessarily making the live fire ranges uh, more modern. I, that would be the term that I would have to use. So instead of having three-dimensional targets on a live fire range, uh, we would have two-dimensional targets. Um, and, then, and then we would enable the soldiers on that installation to get more muscle memory out of more iterations 
in the engagement skills trainer. And I know that's a long way a ways around of answering it, and I'll just close it, Mr. Simmons, by saying between um, those organizations and institutions that are involved in training, we also have developed um, a prioritized list by spending year, the POM cycles, um, so that we ensure that everybody in the community understands what is most important. For us right now, the integrated training environment is our number one priority, enabling those commanders to link all of those domains that we've been describing. Um, and then second below that is the live fire um, that is at installation. In that way, a commander has more options. Now, does that mean that some of the, the nice-to-have training devices that we have accumulated over the past 10 years will go away? More than likely, yes, because it trains a specific set of individuals or soldiers and not a broader array of soldiers. And again, you know, the bottom line is our checkbook is not, uh, you know, as full as it used to be, and the senior leadership of the Army will have to prioritize, and it's our job to present them with, here's what soldiers want, here's what soldiers need. This is our recommendation to you, senior leaders, on how we prioritize where we put the money that is in the training world. Does that help at all? Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Chuck. Miss um, um, Sandra Irwin, did you have a question? Yes, uh, thank you. Colonel White, good afternoon. Um, I wanted to ask you about some of the uh, uh, potentially training requirements. Uh, we're hearing from the Army leadership now that they're focusing on a hybrid threat, which is a lot more complex than what the Army traditionally has focused on. It's not low end, it's not high end, it's a mix of everything. So I was just wondering if you can talk about how that potentially would impact the training and how do you train for something like a hybrid threat? Wow, you guys are you're not throwing up softballs. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, Mr. Irwin, I briefly described DATE earlier, Decisive Action Training Environment, and that is really how we get at your question. Um, mm -hmm. The Decisive Action Training Environment is that persistent environment across the conflict continuum. So anything from um, what you would know as um, you know high-end tank on tank, helicopter on helicopter. Type of warfare, down to gang warfare, you know, to, to some of the stuff that you would see uh, in a country um, that might not be as developed, where you've got uh, tribal chiefs that are in charge, vice necessarily a government. Um, we will be conducting our first decisive action training environment rotation at the National Training Center in March, uh, and that is where we will begin training against what you have described as a hybrid threat. Um, we've done it once in Europe, but on a much smaller scale. This will be our first large-scale um, training event um, where we, we include the hybrid threat into our training vice, just COIN, um, or if you want to talk, you know, special operations side of the house, um, some, of the, some of the missions that they undertake as well. And I think it's, you know, it's really been a collaborative effort from the senior leadership with guidance down to um, those soldiers that have been involved both in conflict in Afghanistan, in Iraq, 
and those soldiers who were pre-9-11 who, who trained constantly on the other end of the spectrum. Um, so, so I guess our narrative really becomes, you know, you can use the hybrid threat, but it really becomes, you know, it's the full continuum of conflict that a commander will be faced with at some point during his rotation. And then to get him there at home station, um, the decisive action training environment is what I'll call exportable. So as you, commander, begin your road to war to execute your combat training center rotation, um, you will begin working in this decisive action training environment. And, and I guess I best describe it as um, a world. Uh, and it is a world that we have created that is full of intelligence. It is full of, um, you know, who's who, uh, and it's regional in nature. So if you're if you are regionally aligned for a Korean contingency, then in this world you would go to the Korean part of the world and begin your training, um, and then you and then you ramp up from individual soldier all the way to collective level at brigade and division in this decisive action training environment. And I know that's kind of loosely. It's hard to talk through it. It's easier to show. Um, but again, it, it, that is where we are moving forward in the future. Now, that's not to say that those soldiers and brigades that are deploying to Afghanistan um, are training solely in decisive action training environment they are still training to, to their deployed mission. So if they're going over as an advisor team, they train as an advisor team at home station and at the CTCs, what you would know as an MRE. Um, if, you, if they're a brigade combat team going into Afghanistan, same thing. They will have a road to war that is specifically associated with the region that they would be going into. you want to add anything to that, Bear? Nope. Pretty much covered it all. Yeah. D does that answer your question, ma'am? Yes, thank you so much. Just to clarify, the decisive action training event that's coming up, that's entirely virtual. There's no live no, component. No, I, I misled you there. Um, the decisive action training environment contains live, virtual, constructive, and in some cases gaming. And, and so there's a okay. different level of it based on where you are. If you're an individual soldier, you're training, you're training live and gaming in this decisive action training environment to, to get your skill level up to where you can participate in collective training. The collective training at squad, platoon, and even company is live, virtual, and somewhat gaming. And then as you move up to a battalion level, it becomes, for the battalion commander and his staff, more constructive, um, where the soldiers are still doing live training and virtual training, but you and your staff are doing constructive. So the date actually incorporates all of our training domains in some form or fashion at echelon, uh, depending upon where you are in that echelon. So at the National Training Center, um, you will see soldiers in their combat vehicles. If they're assigned a Bradley or an M1 or an Apache or an MRAP, whatever their assigned you know, unit is, um, in the dirt at the NTC, uh, the commanders will be there as well, and they'll be in there. Um, tactical operations centers or forward with the troops. And then those support units that are not physically at the National Training Center will be linked um, from a constructive environment. And so I didn't explain that very well before. Um, but that, 
that's kind of how we're moving forward. And we'll and we'll do two or three of those this year based on the deployment cycle and the demand cycle. And then next year, next calendar year, we'll begin to see more of those. And of course, we'll learn our lessons along the way so that we can continually improve both at the training centers and then what we're providing, as Mr. Simmons asked earlier, you know, at home station as well um, to, to get at making sure that, that we have a trained and ready force for the COCOM commanders. Mm -hmm. Right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, Anne, did you have a question? I um, always have a question. Um, this is Anne Roosevelt with Defense Daily. I was wondering, sir, if you could explain to me your connection with TRADOC's training brain. I didn't exactly hear those two words um, in your presentation. I wondered how that worked. And a sort of second part was there's been some sort of movement within um, TRADOC, perhaps where you are, to allow individual soldiers to go into sort of a public access world on the Internet where they can sort of interact on their own to accomplish things where other people, such as civilians, perhaps such as myself, could be on playing as well. Is, is that going anywhere, and how do you link up with Training Brain? Thanks, sir. Yes, ma'am. Um, first for the TBOC, um, the Training Brain. Uh, they are integral to what we're doing in the future. Um, what the training brain does is it takes real-world data and it bends it so we can use it in exercises. So there's different levels of classification of information. Um, they help us produce what I'll term as the digital dirt um, for exercises. A an example, 3rd Brigade, 101st Airborne, wants to do an exercise at home station, but wants to replicate the terrain in Africa somewhere. The, the training brain would help us create that world, um, both from an event matrix perspective and from a perspective of what does it look like when you're looking in your virtual world or your constructive world. So that's, that's really how they help us in this environment. They are not a part of CAC-T, as you, I think you understand. Yeah. They, they do work for the TRADOC commander, and of course they touch larger than, than just TRADOC with some of the work that they do. But for us, in that date that I mentioned before, we have what is called a common framework of scenarios. So in the world, there's a Korean common framework of scenarios, as I described before, or there's a humanitarian relief in Haiti um, world that exists that commanders can pull off the shelf and train in. That's what the TBOC helps us create um, with their wizards that are out there uh, in Newport News. You want to add to that, Bear? Yeah, that's great. Thanks, sir. And then for your question on individual soldiers out in the world, um, what, what we are trying to do is replicate, uh, and, and I use this loosely, so don't quote exactly <laughs> this, um, you know, the World of Warcraft world where many, many people can participate in an event and learn from it. Now, World of Warcraft, um, you know, there is learning that goes on, but it's not terminal learning that we would like soldiers to, to do. And so we are attempting to create a world, and you may have heard um, the acronym EDGE, out there where we can link individual soldiers 
and leaders in a training environment that is not necessarily a part of what you would call your, you know, nine to five job at work to allow them um, to learn on their own at their own pace 24 seven. Um, and it's really, I mean, we're in the pilot phase of that right now. Um, so we, we will continue to work that. I mean, there are so many technologies out there that, that will help us with this, but we have really just discovered, um, you know, the value of being able to do that because, again, you know, when you take your soldiers to a live fire range, not everybody qualifies the first time around. I mean, some guys just can't shoot a rifle. So we offer this world as one way for them to practice on their own other skill sets that will be required, to, you know, as a part of a collective. Um, I, I think it will be okay. I, I, I mean, my son's at 85 in World of Warcraft, and I watch him every now and then, and it's amazing what these young kids can do. Now, he's not young, but he's 18. You know, how quickly they can assimilate information and then redistribute it out to a larger group, you know, making a plan not on the fly per se, but developing a plan that years ago, um, you know, an old guy like me would not have been able to do because, you know, the inputs that we had in training were a little bit slower, weren't quite as challenging. You know, we were more lockstep in the Cold War. Um, so uh, 